Oh my god. Who's going off this time? Taylor, I think you're just completely broken. But your good pals at the Album Listening Club have not failed you. We are back once again, up in your ear holes, ready to review some top-notch music. Asterisk. Um, I'm joined once again by my pals Byron Halcher. Taylor. Hey there. And our good pal Boner. hey So before we, we, we dig into the album proper, I want to address a little something here. I know like the last episode that all one of you listened to, I said that we might try to doing like a guest thing at some point, And I kind of realized that that's probably not going to happen. Um, there's already four of us here and having a fifth person would just be unruly and trying to like, trying to get these episodes scheduled is a pain in the ass with just four of us. So uh, the thought of trying to, trying to schedule an episode around five people, it's just a little insane to me. So it's just going to be, you know, your good pals here at the Album Listening Club. We might try to work in something where you can maybe submit albums for us to listen to, and we'll do that for a round or something. Uh, but for this round, we're going to run us four once again while we decide what we do after that. So uh, how's that sound to you guys? Yeah. Byron is overly enthusiastic today. Uh. <laughs> so the album on our plate today is, well, I, I figured that it would either be Taylor or me to introduce this group uh, to the album listening club. Uh, this is Coheed and Cambria's two, uh, 2010 effort, Year of the Black Rainbow. Uh, I chose this album because I think it's probably their, their, their sort of least... Um, exposed album i guess mm. um and it's also i think the most divisive in uh, the fan base like 
I think there there are some pretty strong opinions on this album. There's really not a lot of in between. Um, like a lot of people hate it, a lot of people love it. Uh, I don't think the band plays anything from it other than one song live. Ringing endorsement. <laughs> uh, I also think that like there was uh, this album and the album that came before it, No World for Tomorrow, were also created uh, when there was like a lot of turmoil going on within the band. Uh, Josh Eppard had uh, exited the band because of drug issues and stuff, and they had gone through a couple of drummers, ultimately settling on Chris Penny, who does some amazing work on this album. Um, and this would be the only album he would record with them before uh, Mr. Eppard would return uh, sober and uh, seemingly enjoying his life again. But uh, I understand that Mike Todd was also very, very unhappy during the creation of this album. Um, he didn't really seem to like the new drummer or the style that he kind of brought to this album at all. If a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that I've seen in videos is to be believed, he just kind of hated having to put more effort into his bass playing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but he was going through his own, uh, drug issues at the time as well. So, uh, it's just a, it was an album created with a lot of tension within the band and like, yeah, it's it's it was definitely it definitely came from a weird time, and I think that a lot of it definitely shows uh, throughout the course of the album. Uh, so I guess we'll start with some first impressions. I'll I'll get us started off when uh, I bought this album day of release, uh, and I didn't really like it, and it took me a long time to come to like understand the album, I guess in some way. Um, I, I, I immediately like just the production was really off-putting to me like the guitars are just this warble of like static and uh you know it, it's produced by Atticus Ross who I just don't think meshes well with the kind of music that Coheed and Cambria does um and I guess you know they wanted something really different for this album but I think that that desire for something really really different might have sort of been its downfall because it took a long while for me to like maybe warm up to the album like i don't want to really spoil my thoughts on the album yet um yeah i remember when it came out and you were posting on twitter and you were more like year of the black rain no boom see this is kind of hardcore burns that you can expect from me when reviewing uh music but since we are joined uh, by another uh, Coheed and Cambria fanatic, Miss um, <laughs> Taylor, uh, what were your immediate thoughts on Year of the Black Rainbow uh, when you first gave it a listen? Uh, I thought there were a handful of okay songs, and other than that, I barely listened to this album for mm. like the better part of the last six years. <laughs> This was actually, I did actually, a lot of the songs I thought were better live at the time, because mm-hmm. I actually, the first time I saw them was on the Year of the Black Rainbow tour. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do I do sort of uh, echo some of Polly's thoughts with regard to the production. It's just, it's very muddy and indistinct, and a lot of the time it's hard to pick out notes from the guitar work, and the bass is like inaudible yeah it's completely bare it's not like the kind of butcher job that like and justice for all had done on it because that that that's an album you want to talk about having no bass at all boy oh, oh boy 
I'm glad they, not being able to hear the bass wasn't just due to me listening it to it on crappy Chromebook speakers. That <laughs> there really is like it's really a squashed in the production. Yeah, it's just kind of like muddied up inside all of the guitars and everything else. Mm-hmm. Just a real staticky kind of uh, presentation. Any other um, um, initial thoughts on the album you had, or are we moving on? Uh. Well, uh, I guess this is an initial thought, and it's sort of a continuing thought, mm-hmm. is that this is pr- is that not all of the songs are bad in this regard, but this song, de- that this album definitely contains Claudio's worst lyrical work since, Ooh. like, the Shibuti days. <laughs> Ooh, there's, there's some doozies that, oh, man. <laughs> the past remains the past until present. <laughs> oh good 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 okay that, that's actually not what i'm thinking about okay. but we'll get to it later we'll get we'll get to more of this uh later so boner initial thoughts on year of the black rainbow uh i too bought it not release day but close after it had come out and i was um familiar with coheed and cambria not a huge fan i really liked um good apollos one and two and I'm trying to remember these paragraph-long album names. Uh, <laughs> In Keeping Secrets of the Silent Earth 3. So, when I saw back in 2010 that they were releasing a new album, I you know watched on YouTube the... Uh, I think the first single released on it was Here We Are Juggernaut, and yeah. watching the video for that, and I was like, oh, okay, this is not really grabbing me by the tits, but, you know, this, I might seek this out. And, yeah, I kind of listened to it, and was like, well, I didn't remember any of the songs on that other than here we are juggernaut and um i have to look at the name of it world of lines (laughs) (laughs) and so when i saw that this was your pick i'd be like oh this album again all right which i i'd listened to it subsequent times and it, it kind of while it didn't carve out a huge niche in my psyche i could at least recognize that this is an album with songs on it that maybe I can remember. So um, revisiting this again was kind of you know, an interesting little thingy that we'll <laughs> probably discuss at length. But, yeah, That's yeah. why we're here. Yeah, that's the reason this whole damn thing exists. Byron Holcher, Black Rainbow Initial Thoughts. Well, uh, my first interaction and pretty much my only interaction with Coheed and Cambria uh, was when they had the single, uh, I think it was A Favor House Atlantic, uh, <laughs> when that was popular, and I had that on my, my Sony mini disc player. Oh, damn. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, at the time I had a collection of different singles of popular uh, rock music at the time. I think this was like just right when I had gotten cable and MTV. Oh, and so wow. it was like you were moving into like new technology, new right, worlds were opening. Right. For you. And, and and so this was like I only knew Coheed and Cambria is just kind of like the the like hot topic side of it. And they had this music video for this where they're like playing in a bar and, and stuff like that. And they're partying. And and, and it's only like uh, apparently in the like past year or two, I, I learned now that they're an entire like sci-fi concept <laughs> uh, band with like this whole thing. And I like I never picked up on that. And probably the like 700 times I listened to a favor house Atlantic uh, over and over again. Yeah. Um, so this was, this was interesting now kind of going into it, knowing that there was some, 
some some uh, some mirrors behind the smoke, I guess. Subst- uh, they're like substance there that you hadn't really picked up on before, because you're the Black Rainbow is actually the start of the Coheed and Cambria like chronology. It's a, it's a prequel, as I understand, right? Yeah. The Phantom Menace of of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> it makes um, four ways than one. <laughs> right. So uh, uh, so so it was interesting. Uh, to experience that, and I thought uh, it maybe justified kind of uh, how crappy uh, the lyrics and most of the musical content uh, I thought was, because mm-hmm. obviously it was carefully crafted around these uh, these themes. Yeah, and I think that even though like all of their albums are sci-fi concept albums, I think that in work prior to this album, Claudio had done a better job of sort of incorporating because all of the songs are tied to this concept, but he always tries to sort of like work it from an angle of things that he actually feels and things going on in his real life so that there is a relatable layer there. Um, And I think that since like this album seems to, for the most part, save for a couple of songs, I believe, um, you know, they're tied really heavily to the concepts and kind of a bit colder for that reason. The the overarching concept and, and of course, being uh, the 1987 Barry Windsor Smith, Mark D. Bright Armory Wars uh, Iron Man story arc, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, as it's known. Yes. Uh, and this one, yeah, the year of the black, year of the black rainbow, uh, uh, as he, uh, also was a a a novel that came out uh, in combination with the uh, the album, correct? Yeah, it's like three hundred and seventy two pages or something. Did did you get that with like the special edition, or yeah. did you have to? Uh, yeah, I got it with mine the day that it came out. He, uh, yeah, I got the box somewhere in the house. <laughs> I, I only bought the non special edition. You were the smartest. <laughs> the yeah. the non added CG dobacks and more X wings in the Death Star Run <laughs> edition. I uh, I read also that in addition to the uh, Claudio Sanchez, the the lead singer Peter David, uh, who is a, a celebrated comic book writer, also helped him write the novelization. Yes. Um, so I thought I thought that was uh, that was kind of cool that he got at least he got help from a, a really good guy for this sort of thing. Yeah. That's it. Uh, that I guess that's it for me on the the first impression on the uh, initial impressions front. So I guess with all the initial impressions out of the way, we're gonna jump right into sort of the first actual track of the album because we start with uh, it's sort of just an ambient intro. Uh, it's titled One, very originally. Um, it sort of like just sets the mood for us to kind of like transition into the first track, The Broken. Boner, why don't you give us some thoughts on The Broken? I kind of <laughs> was confused as to these being two separate songs until I sat down and looked at the track list. <laughs> it's not a bad intro, um, like, get you into the album thing. It kind of shows you, lays it out there pretty much what that what you're in for, whether you had, you know were familiar with Coheed or not. Um, it's like the sound you're hit with here is pretty much what you're going to be listening to for the rest of the album, and it's not going to really veer too far off from that with one or two exceptions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I think that it 
just pales ridiculously in comparison when you consider the the great list of of Coheed openers for albums because that's sort of oh, like, like Welcome Home, like that... <laughs> Welcome Home, No World for Tomorrow, Time Consumer, like that is a trilogy of fantastic openers, and then we go into this very straightforward, straight laced like song that doesn't really. Like it doesn't surprise or wow, but it doesn't really like it's not bad either. It's just kind of like, hey, I'm a rock song, and you're gonna notice that Claudio's voice is a lot deeper on this album, by the way. Yeah, definitely. His register uh, is yeah. a lot lower, which I think has a lot to do with just consistent touring and he was a smoker at the time. His vocals are much better these days. Part of the joke back in like the early 2000s when Coheed was starting to gain notoriety was that it was Getty Lee from Rush doing the vocals. I remember when I posted a, um, a top 10 list of my favorite Coheed tracks on uh, Socks Make People Sexy once and Fresno thought that it was a girl singing. I did think it was a girl singing definitely for a long time but when I first heard the song before I saw the the video again on on MTV. I definitely thought it was a, a female singer. Mm, mm, mm. Taylor, thoughts? Ah, mm. uh, the broken. It's yeah, not not really a stellar opener. It's kind of like indicative of the problem I had with this album way back when and. My thoughts on this particular song haven't really changed. It's kind of snoozy and mid-tempo, and I can't hear the guitars or the bass. You can only hear that one solo and that cool little... Yeah. Yeah, that's the one part I remember from the guitar work. Yeah, the, the production is doing this song absolutely no favors. Yeah. I think this is maybe apart from a couple other instances, probably like the song that gets hardest hit by that production yeah. issues. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Byron, your thoughts on the broken? Well, I can somebody tell me just first of all why every album or like every every like sci-fi rock album needs to have the like two minute fade in intro track. Like why does everybody think they like invented that move? Uh, I think they're just all ripping off tool. Like, like this is This goes back like decades. At least uh, everybody has the, like the, like silent, the silent, like you, you turn, you keep wiggling your stereo knob in your car because you're not sure if like really funny. It's uh. It's they want, to, not they want to fool you into turning your volume up, and then they hit you with way too loud when the actual song starts. Yeah, it's like uh, uh like commercials, right? They try to yeah. you crank it up for the TV, and then the commercial comes on, and you're getting blasted in the face for downy detergent or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's the downy detergent ad of Coheed songs. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. so so that's that's what I thought. Uh, this this my first impression. Uh, what I had like arena rock. Uh, I felt that this had, like, more... I mean, again, everything I knew about Coheed was that one song and maybe, like, one or two casual lessons of, like, other albums at some point in the past decade or two. Right, uh, right. So this, like, this felt a lot like arena rock, I guess, in terms of, like, uh, 
it, also like what you guys were saying with like everything kind of being muddied together, not being able to hear it really well, but all like, uh, and, and just like, it didn't sound as, I, I don't know. I remember it being more like, like math metally, uh, in my head. And I was just surprised how much this felt more like chugging along. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, I was pretty underwhelmed with this, with this intro, with these two intro tracks, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> arena Rock is not something that crossed my mind when I was listening to it, and I could see that maybe they thought they were making that kind of album, but it just doesn't have the punch. Again, like with the Muddy production, it didn't cross my mind that they were trying to do an Arena Rock Yeah, it, it doesn't soar enough. That's what, but that's, that's, I don't know, that's what I felt like they were going for with the, uh, uh, with what they were writing. It definitely was not successful. I don't know, nothing, this out, this definitely didn't, like, catch me, and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, this is the rest of this thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is, this is Atticus saying. Ross trying to Nine Inch Nails a Coheed and Cambria album. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you mean, that's, like, The Broken? No. That's what uh, who, Atticus Ross. That's what he's he's known for the the production on Nine Inch Nails, right? Yeah, he's known for very fuzzy, very like muddy production, and that works for what Nine Inch Nails is. But not something where I expect to be like really picking out the different the different pieces. Yeah, especially when compared to Coheed's earlier work. And, yeah, because and, like a lot of clean guitar um, solos and licks just kind of characterize that, and you don't really, well, you know, as has been mentioned, you can't hear the guitars on a lot of these pieces. I was going, I was going to say something about how that Atticus Ross production works well for Nine Inch Nails, but not really well for a band that has like super intricate guitar work going on. Yeah, yeah, and really out of the world drumming kind of things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It didn't also, do them any favors that Claudio Sanchez went through puberty, uh, <laughs> apparently, in between the last uh, the last album and this one. Yeah. Acid, refl- acid reflux is a nasty business. Yeah, that'll do it to you, too. That will do it to you, too. So is that, that all of our thoughts, our wonderful thoughts, our great start for The Broken? <laughs> Stick around, folks, for, for more, for more uh, the, tracks. The lyrics aren't great. I think any any song that literally just has blah 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 in your oh my god I forgot about that it's the one of the the lyric after the first fucking chorus is blah 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 is that like placeholder text like he couldn't think of the next verse and then they just like oh just left it in just we forgot to mute that scratch. He was I he was doing um like, he he was like hey guys I can do a really good impression of the start to self esteem by the offspring <laughs> and they just had the mics rolling on that well that's what I assume like maybe they played it live or something and he just had to fill in the lyrics and you know once they ran with that they just had to keep it going from there on out it's canon oh my.
to our next track, which is a track that I refer to as drum porn. <laughs> this is Guns of Summer, and this is one of my favorite uh, little hits on the album. Not only because it's drum porn, but just because I think that it's actually one of the better uh, put-together songs on the album. Uh, I think everything just kind of rolls really well together. Um, but we'll go ahead and start with Boner, Guns of Summer. Yeah, so immediately this song, it's the first thing that jumps out is the guitar. Really waking you up, I believe, from coming off the slog, I guess, that was The Broken. And, you know, it's got like a lot of little bit of nice chorus work on it, too. The Broken feels like it's kind of trying to jump ahead too much to the next part of the song. Um but while still just being a four-minute slog. Um, and while Guns of Summer is a longer song, it doesn't feel as such. Yeah. Because there's more going on. There's more to kind of just be like, oh, well, this is, you know, I pick out this little part. This is, I, I kind of actually care now <laughs> about yeah, this like, album that I'm listening to. I like the cool <laughs> growling kind of effect you've got going on. Really mm-hmm. cool, really cool uh, stuff going on uh, production-wise, I think. Next. Well, I uh, I thought this. Uh, so so another a concept album I have listened to a lot of is uh, by a band called the Proto Men, uh, who have uh, decided yeah. who have decided to take Mega Man and turn it into a rock opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's actually kind of funny that this album has and the plotline behind this album uh, parallel the origins of Mega Man. Uh, a lot, and specifically um, the Act 2 album by the Proto Men. Uh, the Guns of Summer specifically, uh, what happens kind of in the, in the scenes of this song, uh, spoiler alert for those of those of you uh, who are expecting to read the novel after listening yeah, to the if album. Yeah, you, if you can't get um, enough of your Amory Wars. Uh, um, so uh, this is all about like a big riot protest, and the titular guns, I believe, are... Uh, the guns of the like police state who murder a bunch of people specifically murdering uh this like doctor figure uh his son uh who dies then in his mother's arms uh and his mom and the mom's like really pissed off at the dad uh because of it so that's kind of this is all about protesting and and stuff like that uh and then like dying for for your beliefs and stuff and then i guess the end uh, of the song is all the like chaos and turmoil. This was like a kicking. This is the moment where like everything really kicks off in the Armory Wars, uh, yeah. I guess, as it were. <laughs> um, so this is what I thought was kind of like really the the intro uh, of the whole thing, uh, and definitely uh, pairs is like the polarizing uh, moment of of sacrifice, kind of to to kick off like uh, the plot line moving. Mm. Uh, the song was the song was pretty good. Yep, yep, yeah. Taylor, Guns of Summer. Uh yeah, I really like this song. <laughs> it's it's better put together and it's better written, and I can hear more stuff going on. And the stuff that's going on is absolute insanity. It absolutely is. <clears throat> <laughs> like that. Like Boner mentioned that opening guitar part just like waking you up after the broken yeah that that riff is fucking stupid (laughs) the drums are even stupider oh god (laughs) 
as somebody who can play sort of a jankety version of Guns of Summer, like, let me tell you, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I've I've only attempted this song once, but it's basically like four minutes of nonstop sweet picking, and I really suck at that, so <laughs> mm. all I can tell you is oof. 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 It's got another really weird guitar solo. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, they. it's like... I would guess uh, ring modulator to yeah. the layman broken robot effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 just a crazy song that is really good um, and just like smacks you upside the head after uh, what the broken did to you. <laughs> yeah, it left it you broken. Broke you. <laughs> it left you broken, and now you're fixed again. Yes. For how much longer? Well, <laughs> transition. <laughs> of a song we move into the lead single from the album here we are juggernaut a song that when i heard it i was just like why is this a single it's not very good yeah <laughs> i, I, mean, I thought that was... when i first heard it before yeah. buying the album but i i came around on it when i yeah. actually heard the album i mean you know they needed a sing-along <laughs> Obviously, yeah, this is your sing-along track. I think this is the only single released as well, uh, which would be, like, another thing. Because, like, like, the previous albums had, like, I think three and four singles. This is the only album of theirs, I think, that has only had one single. Uh, I I think there's a video for The Broken. I saw it flash up on Google Play Music, but Ooh, I, I didn't watch it. Mm. 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 Yeah, this is your, your, your sing-along. This is the one that... This is the one song from the album that they still play live. Um, Guys, they could have probably gone with a better one, but I just think, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't, arena you know, song. I don't, think, I don't think that uh, Josh Shepard is... Or is it Josh or Joey? Because I know Josh. that Joey... Okay, because Joey Josh is Shepherd. in Because Joey is in three. Yeah. That's his band. Okay, but yeah. Uh, Josh, like, I don't think he could play something like Guns of Summer. Like, it's a distinct possibility. Like he's he's an all right drummer and he utilizes the skills that he has, but he's not like a great technical drummer or anything. Like he doesn't believe in a double bass pedal or anything like that. You know, he's uh pretty yeah, he's pretty pretty straightforward. Not like Chris Penny who can play Come to Daddy by Aphex Twin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Penny who did all of the drum work on this album is just amazing. Um but yeah, it just here we are Juggernaut is, you know, here, here we are. Juggernaut. There it is. <laughs> there it is. You think, Byron? We think of uh, here we are, Juggernaut. This, this was kind of, I guess, more what I was expecting 
Coheed and Cambria kind of to sound like, mm-hmm. uh, actually. It, it's funny that you guys mentioned, like, or, or saying, like, why, why is this the single from the album? Because uh, I thought this was one of the ones that sounded more like what I thought, what I thought I was about to be getting uh, with this whole album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I liked... I, I don't know. It, it kind of. I guess that's why. Maybe I. I liked it kind of. Um, and I definitely figured that. Like, yeah. If, if you're telling me that this is the the one that they're still playing live, like I believe that it's totally like the sing along uh, track. And I, I feel like even if you're not like following along with the plot, it's kind of the one that maybe you would like be able to follow along the lyrics with at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what's interesting. Is according to like the plot line, <laughs> the actual like here we are jug- the the what happens mm-hmm. in this song is actually supposed to happen essentially like right at the end of the chronologically of the plot. So it's interesting to me that they plugged it in track four. Um, I mean, it wouldn't really work as an outro song. No, it's no, like, it's definitely more of like an early <laughs> album picking up the pace song um but yeah he does that a lot yeah um, but yeah, yeah so it, it's earlier so it's kind of like i was trying to be like i i listened to this and tried to suss out like the plot of it and it was only thanks to the the very descriptive coheed and cambria wiki <laughs> that i was able to make the connections between what each song was working out with the plots uh from the book and, and stuff um but it was uh i guess it's it's this is the best track i've heard so far on the album uh, and I'll leave it with that. <clears throat> so moving out of that, we move into uh, our first slower ballad. I didn't talk. Ab- I didn't talk about here we are juggernaut Wait, yet. I thought you did. <laughs> I could have sworn you did. No, I think I just made a trans. I said transitioned. Oh, oh, you Anthony Fantanoed us. Okay. <laughs> Okay, hold on. I'll get. Don't worry. I'll get this shit back on track. So Taylor, I heard you have some thoughts on "Here We Are, Juggernaut." The broken part two. <laughs> <laughs> Muddy, indistinct, not super well lyrically written. <laughs> and Keep just your kind secrets of... in the dark. Nothing matters anymore. Mm-hmm. I think nothing matters anymore. Officially got into PC music territory in this song. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. wow! Like, here, let's count. Uh, one. Yeah, and th- there's like two or three times they say that in a verse, and it's part of the chorus as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they say it like the second line in the first verse, and yeah, then, yeah, you're gonna be hearing this a lot. <laughs> And yeah, I actually, as far as the sing-along song goes, having seen this one live back in the day, nobody was singing along. Yeah, like I said, this was very divisive. I just don't think, like, I know that it's caught on with some folks over the years, and people are more accepting of it, but I, like, when this album came out, like, I I didn't know anybody that Mm -hmm. was just like, yeah, man, Black Rainbow! Now, the song they were singing along to is even more hilarious, but we'll get to that later. Oh, Lord. Ooh. Oh, Lord. So, yeah, uh, I'm not going to... This is, I would say, maybe the second worst song on the album for me. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty low. Uh, it's not 
for yeah, me as but well. We have not yet gotten to the one I had to force myself to listen to. <laughs> oh, wow. That's going to be fun because I was sitting there. You mentioned that on Twitter and I was like, I wonder what it could have been. I wonder what it could have been. But I guess as we move along, we'll find out. Transition. song of the album far this is a uh oof. it's very loud even though it's a ballad um i think they approached it interestingly from a production standpoint uh, because as you've probably already heard now from the musical sample that i've played before this uh the drums are very heavy and very cla- not clangy really just kind of real big and boomy uh, and it's because his drum kit was on, like, a riser of, like, metal cans and, mm. like, beams and stuff. And that's how they recorded it. Literally? Yeah, literally. If you watch the uh, the making of, there's some making of videos on this album. That's how, you, that's how they mic the drums for this track specifically. And I get what they were going for. But I think if you're going to employ weird percussion like that, like Mushroom Head and Slipknot, for example, have done it better. I didn't hate the drums on this. Oh, I didn't hate it either. I thought it worked. Yeah, I will say you can have like a, a singular pingy sound throughout the whole song that arrests the attention of the listener without it just being totally grating Saint Anger. <laughs> pang, 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 pang. Um, but I, I, I don't hate this track. I think it's actually pretty good. Um, I, I mean, I get the sentiment of it. Like, and I think that, you know, it's, it's maybe a little sugary sweet at some points, but I think that, you know, ultimately, I think it's harmless. Uh, wouldn't go out of my way to listen to it, but I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to skip it. If, like, I throw out a, my Coheed playlist and throw it on random, like, I'm not going to skip it. Yeah, uh, like, you, you guys mentioned the, um, they're doing the sci-fi story, but sometimes the lyrics kind of relate to real-life experiences, and that's kind of what I get on this one, just kind yeah. of like the... Whatever I do is never good enough or unrequited love, that sort of thing. And, I mean, it's, you know, if you don't think about it too hard, it, it kind of works. And, well, it's, and it's not a bad uh, 
chorus either, as far as, you know, just the catchiness of the lyrics, I guess. You were saying, Byron? Unrequited love in space. Oh! It's not not good enough. You mean Leia's my sister? Yeah, so so that's like, that's, you know, it's, it's every, it's everyone relates to this metaphor, but also it's in space. Uh, and everyone's a cyborg. So like yeah. Muppets in space. Yes. Power Rangers in space. space. Socks cast in space. In space! We can make that happen someday. Spoiler alert. Do a Kickstarter for it. <laughs> it'll work. It'll work. It's Taylor, so since I was so remiss and almost forgot you last track, why don't you tell <laughs> us what you think of Far? Uh, I like it. I think it's... I don't... I think Coheed had have never done a song that sounds like this because mm-hmm. it's you know it's got like the boomy industrial sounding drums and sort of the fuzzy guitars and this slower ballad kind of deal and the fuzzy guitar actually works for this song i think yeah I really like the solo i think it sounds really good yeah i'm not saying the- it's a great solo i just think it sounds good <laughs> yeah it's a. Uh- it's it's a sound over solo kind of solo. It's yeah. definitely kind of simplistic, especially compared to what this band is capable of. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, I, I like it. It's not, you know, it's not blow the doors off awesome or anything, but, you know, it was a well, it's a welcome sort of change of pace before we move into side two of the record. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Far? It's uh, it's 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 finger bang music. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious though. Like this is like the the kind of like the slow pop, the slow jam track you throw in the mixtape in high school, and it's like you know the backseat or whatever. You know, it's it's what's going down. Like that's. That's exactly what this track reminded me of, uh, was like when you have all of the collections of the slow <laughs> songs from all of the like serious albums. Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. It's, or it's playing music. music. <laughs> uh, um, that, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I think of this song. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast now, text my butt hurts. <laughs>
space, we come back down to Earth with the next track, This Shattered Symphony. Byron, do you got some uh, thoughts on This Shattered Symphony of mine? Uh, I thought it was cool. This was one of the more straightforward tracks, I thought. It was just like, I, I don't know. I, I liked like what was going on with the chorus. Uh, I, I don't have any notes. Like, I just kind of have, like, I just, it literally just says, like, the chorus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but, uh, I, I don't know. I guess that's all I thought of, thought of this one. It, it wasn't that memorable, uh, memorable to me. But it was, uh, I guess, yeah, that's about it. Plus one chorus. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, the Shattered Symphony. Uh, I feel like. We're getting to the point where they told Atticus, Atticus Ross to cut it out with all the reverb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this sounds like Coheed and Cambria. Yep. We're back, and it's a, we're back on Earth again. It's, and it's a, I think it's a pretty good song. Yeah. It's got, you know, distinguishable guitar parts and, you know, sort of a rocking chorus that transitions into their... Uh, sort of extended bridge segments sort of deal. Yeah, it's it's really like it's it's it doesn't really like when you think of a chorus, it doesn't really sound like a chorus like cuz it's not really hooky or anything. It's just it, a part of the song that is repeated a bit. Um but I think that like the way that the whole song kind of keeps building on itself and then cycles back around again. It's really really good and really interesting. Yeah. And the lyrics are actually pretty decent here, too. <laughs> yeah, he, he, Claudio yeah. actually brought his pen to the studio this time. <laughs> what you think, Boner? So this, I went into this thinking this was a cover, right? Because <laughs> this is a shattered symphony, this life. You're, you're, you're a doll, baby, I swear. You're such a cinnamon roll, I love you. <laughs> um yeah it's got some interesting guitar work maybe it doesn't stick to my ribs as much um and as somebody who doesn't really pay attention to lyrics ever um he, he wants you to give him the gun that, that's <laughs> the thing he's asking for they left him no choice boner yeah they did never mind what they think about him <laughs> uh this is the comedy you come back to us for, people. Isn't it? And like, you waited three months for this. <laughs> Here it is, fuckers. <laughs> Woo! That was good stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a good track. I like it. Uh, it's definitely one of the standouts for the album. Um, and it, I mean, it's kind of like Byron's Ed. Like, you know, it's, it's a little nondescript, but at the same time... I'm with Taylor in that. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it is nondescript. I'm, uh, I'm not like bagging on it. It's not an awful song, but mm-hmm. there's um, a lot of songs in this album that you could use the word nondescript on. Uh, <laughs> I feel I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be real with that. Yeah. Yeah, that that whole setting the tone of the broken with the blah blah blah. I will say that um, I'm a bit of a fan of Claudio's like really just like sneery, snarly. Um, tone he gives like the ends of some lines but mm-hmm. that little inclusion not not to call back too much to the beginning of the album is just kind of a almost a self-parody yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I think he's got really great inflection otherwise, and just kind of like the way he contorts his voice to do things like that. It's really cool. It's really cool. It's a good track, The Shattered Symphony. We recommend it. It is Album Listening Club approved. Indeed. refer to as sort of maybe grave makers and gunslingers part two i guess at least from at least from an an energy standpoint this is world of lines and this is the they are like it's basically the same thing that i tell people when i throw them grave makers and gunslingers you want a fucking rock song here's a fucking rock song it it rocks it soars it does everything that a really good rock song needs to do i think it doesn't outstay its welcome yeah, it gets in, does its thing, goes like straight from the chorus right into the second verse, right into the chorus again, a bridge, chorus, done. If this were a Killing Joke song, it would be exactly the same. They just would have added like two more verses. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Byron, what do you think of World of Lines? Um, I was really glad I had I got a song that had an extended, like, what? Like uh, part to it, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was I was waiting for one of those of uh, this whole <laughs> album. Like that's kind of what I was talking about with the the like arena rock feel to it. Like this is this I feel is one of the songs that like if maybe I had seen this album, they're touring when it came out, and I had actually enjoyed this album when it came out, and I had seen that maybe I, like this song I thought would have been would have been kind of cool. Yeah, uh, to see. It was. Oh. Okay, <laughs> yeah. there, there you go, there you go. So, so I thought that was, I thought that was pretty great. Um, this is the part, uh, also in the in the war, I guess, where we're after the guns of summer, which kicked off some huge revolution, like anarchy kind of thing. This is the, this is the, like the collapse of everything in the, the doctor, who I'm just gonna call Doctor Light, uh, for the purposes of, of <laughs> me remembering it. Uh, is now like furiously working on his plan uh, while like Wiley's robots uh, spread throughout the, the galaxy, uh, as it were. Um, but but I, I thought it was really good. Uh, I I kind of dug uh, I, I dug this song, and like you said, like the fact that it was like a three minute song was really good. 
Uh, and I thought I, there there are definitely some other songs in this album that that I think I would have enjoyed a lot more if they just like had stuck them at three minutes. Mm. Taylor, World of Lines. It's yeah, awesome song. It's really great live too, and yeah, it's nice to hear them like kick up the tempo a little bit again. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a very catchy, singable chorus once more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 like all of the stuff that makes Gravemakers and Gunslingers a fantastic song. They just kind of like did it again in this song with like a bit of a different tempo. And, you know, we just kept it going, made our awesome rock song for the album. Yeah, definitely a good uh, wake up call. <laughs> Yeah, definitely sort of needed deal. it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely needed it. Yeah, this al- this album sort of mires itself in like mid-tempo kind of things for much of its runtime and it's nice hearing that. Yeah, it's like it's like you know you start you, it's at some point, you know, like when this was during that point in their career, you just sort of had to think like, man, are they kind of like losing it now? Like <laughs> is the has the arthritis set in already? Yeah, it's like, are they, are they already done? <laughs> Please don't be already done. Those good Apollo albums were great. Yeah. next song we're gonna go we're gonna get back down into the sludgy mire things i guess uh <laughs> the the next track is made of nothing all of that at all that i am and it is i only really like one part of the song <laughs> i like the the end part of the song where like like it eats us like cancer like i like that part i like that little switch up and then the like you know the refrain out uh but uh, this song's just kind of goes on a bit too long uh it's just kind of like doing what other tracks have already done before it kind of just like hammering home not really the same point lyrically or anything but just sort of the same general feel um in terms of what this album's been doing sonically like the whole time like it's still kind of fuzzed out very nondescript very indistinct kind of a jumbled uh, mess uh boner what do you got for this one I didn't think this one was horrible. It almost sounds like it could have been written by Phil Collins. Like a, oh. like 80s pop era Genesis. Damning with faint praise. Yes. It's it's got a nice it's got a nice little chorus. I'm sure, you know, it's it's cheesy. It's not like intellectually challenging or anything. No. No. But uh, it's you know, I could you can play this at a wedding or something, I'm sure. Would you say it bumps in the whip? 
I, I, I don't listen to Snoop Dogg that much. Don't say that. Please don't. Don't say that. You don't want me to say that it bumps in the whip? Not about this song. <laughs> Is this another finger-banging song? <laughs> it, it does kind of have Far's same sort of tempo, just, I don't know, heavier guitars and distinct drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you can't see me right now, uh, but I'm, I'm holding my cell phone above my head uh, with the with the flashlight on, and I'm waving it back and forth uh, because that's just what that's it's, just what this I'll, this song makes me makes me feel. It's it's, it's because that's how you song. catch a Zubat in Pokemon Go, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it! Nothing but Zubats. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, but but that that's that's all this like this song is is just like such a like slow ballad. Even more than Far kind of had like some stuff going for it. Uh, <laughs> But this, like, this was just like unforgettable. And for fu- the 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 lyrics, using parentheses in lyrics, as far as I'm concerned, are like you're you're just like jerking yourself off uh, at that point. Made out of nothing, all or, that I am, all that I am. Like that's like, uh, if I was writing like a power ballad in in ninth grade, that's probably what I would have titled it. Um. Well, well, keep in mind that uh, Dr. Hohenheim is not the one who's made out of nothing. It's a life that he made out of nothing. That's true. Uh, that's, that's... God. Uh, so, so yeah, this 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 song was just like it was, it was rough. Uh, it it, it was... kind of like it touch it. It kind of gets a bit butt rocky. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it touched it, it. It touched me in a bad place. Yeah, yeah. This this song is uh This is like if Coheed and Cambria said, "Let's write an Aerosmith song." Oh, oh, that's it. <laughs> and it's like a minute thirty six seconds too long. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't want to miss a thing of the year of the year of the. Life. Oh God. <laughs> Am I to assume that none of us like Aerosmith then? Oof. <laughs> Woof. No, not at all. Because <laughs> when we say butt rock, like Aerosmith is what I think of when I hear the word butt rock. Like Aerosmith and Kiss kind of just jump to mind. Ugh. Yeah. Are they on tour together again? <laughs> <laughs> no, Steven Tyler's a country singer now. Good for him. And, good, and I, good. I think he said because something Because he looks about like a scarecrow, so he figured, up. why not? <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a weird, crazy grandma at this point. Yeah, he looks like if Keith Richards got plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, made out of nothing. It's kind of boring. It's it's it's, not... it's made out of nothing. Yeah. Boom. I didn't think it's that bad, but if we want to talk about a really bad song. Uh-oh. Oh God. <laughs> oh, this hurts me.
So moving on, we've got our next track. <laughs> I've got a bad feeling about this because I think the tables have just turned. We have Pearl of the Stars. Uh, this is another ballady, pretty kind of song. This is the pretty song of the album. Like Pearl Necklace of the Stars. Um, I Claudio just what? like comes all over you. I masturbatory. Oh my God. shit ballad. I think like like um I'm um I'm weird and like sometimes songs take on a different meaning for me and. Uh, I like I kind of like get the problem of well somebody's cutting onions in the room when I hear this song because uh, a lot of things that kind of uh, I tie personally to it uh, for me uh, like to me the song is primarily about loss um, uh, of especially close loved ones and um, it's really a, a hard song for me to listen to personally just because like that interpretation's kind of just always been there. Um, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's just kind of always how I've taken it. And, you know, like in the recent years, it's obviously taken on a much deeper meaning because of the losses and things that I've sustained. So, uh, like, I, I like the song and I think that it's actually as pretty as they wanted it to be. Um, uh, but we will divorce myself from those thoughts at the moment and we will move on to, uh, Hey Boner, what do you really think about Pearl of the Stars? So, so I don't hate ballads. Like, when you talk about a ballad that kind of evokes those emotions of loss, speaks to you at a deep personal level, like, look no further than Ramstein, one of the biggest, like, loud, dare I say, butt rock or butt industrial. <laughs> butt industrial. Bands. Um, but they, you know, they can write an affecting ballad. Onadish is, like, one of the, and, you know, even, like, something that translate, transcends the language barrier. Like, all you really need to know is that Onadish means without you and like yeah. without you yeah. I'm nothing and that kind of thing. Okay, now what does this have to do with Coheed and Cambria? Well, I feel like Pearl of the Stars is trying to be that song and when you have to hear lyrics like if oh. you go I will go and it's just like together forever that kind of thing just it's the same same sounds are repeated too much. It's just like, oh, okay guy, we get it. It's it's heartbreaking, and your 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 best is never good enough, and and because but but you're not because you're you, and I, ugh, <laughs> that one could have used a little more time in the oven lyrically, but I and then it and and then it does one of my cardinal sins of songwriting or just song recording, where he does the chorus down an octave, and the only time that has been good ever. Um, at least that readily comes to mind is when um, at the drive-in did it in Pattern Against User. And he ends the song with that. He doesn't go into the main chorus again. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, I'm still listening to this song. Great. I just had to hear it, you know, again, down an <laughs> octave. Damn it, at the drive-in, you got me ready for one thing, and then it didn't happen somewhere else. Fuck, damn it. They subverted a cliche, dude. It's so damn. meta. Damn, yeah. dog. Damn. Damn. Taylor, Pearl of the Stars. So you remember when I said that there was a song I had to force myself to listen to? <laughs> and the weird thing is, when this album came out, I remember th thinking that this was the best song on the album. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. And I don't know what it was. And remember when I said that there was a song that everyone was singing along to? Oh, no. 
it was Pearl of the Stars. That's your lighters in the air song right there. Yeah, and I don't... And I don't know, this is like... (laughs) Okay, so there are two problems with this song for me. One, these are the worst lyrics Claudio has ever written. Ooh, they're they're really, like, on-the-nose, disjointed. Uh, Some similes don't quite work. When the world burns apart, there'll be a place for your car. There, there will be. Damn the it. world burns apart. Yeah, I forgot about that one. It burns <laughs> apart. Who the fuck says that? Like, Some... like somebody who's like for whom English is a second language, and they're your just trying to burns or like your car burned apart. <laughs> and it, it commits my my cardinal sin sin of songwriting. It ends two different lines with the same word and unfortunately for this song that's that is in the chorus oh yeah and this song is like nothing but chorus (laughs) yeah so yeah um my second problem with the song is really it's just the lyrics are distractingly bad it has nothing to do with the music of this song except for the fact that this song has to live in the shadow of wake up and mother superior when and the light in the glass, and I can go on. <laughs> like, Mother Superior's... Woof! That song gives me chills still. Uh, yeah, woof. so... Yeah, Pearl of the Stars. Taylor's favorite. Started started skipping this song <laughs> in, in my listening. Only listened... To, I, I think my pre-podcast listen of this album through was the first time in, like, four weeks I didn't skip Pearl of the Stars. <laughs> wow. wow. Byron, Pearl of the Stars. Uh, I mean, I... I... I When I when I heard the first uh, jam track bar, I kind of I kind of had a feeling this was coming. And when, when we had the second <laughs> made out of nothing, when we had two jam tracks, I knew there would be a third. There's always... <laughs> In a in like a mid career like album like this, there's always going to be three like slow jammy tracks, um, and I was I was so happy uh, that it was an acoustic one. On top of that, yeah, uh, every metal album needs an acoustic jam track on top of the other like jam tracks they already they already had. Mm-hmm. Um, I I totally I totally like. This, this I could tell, like, the lyrics are so bad, but, like, this is the one in high school I probably would have, like, this is the, this is the one that I would have, like, learned the tabs on guitar, <laughs> on ultimateguitar.com, and learned and, like, played for some girl during lunch or something like that. Um, oh, my God. Uh, no, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely, wait, when did this album come out? 2010. Okay, I guess I would have been robbed. Uh, of that because I was a junior uh, in college, uh, um, but, but I would have been a freshman in college. Feel old, guys. Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the but the point is, like this was this was the one where I the this album uh, or this song this song was the one where I was like, okay, there's definitely a time when I would have been totally sold on like how cheesy and hammy uh, this like Steven Universe song is. <laughs> So, so as far as the Fingerbang song, at what point of the foreplay does Pearl of the Stars come in? No, Pearl of the Stars is the one like you play beforehand. This is the one where it's like, okay, I'm glad you liked my cover of Wonderwall. 
now hear my cover of Pearl of the Stars. (laughs) This would be the follow-up to Wonder Words that will never be said by anyone because everybody's already left. (laughs) Well, that's right. If she sticks around for Wonderwall, then she'll probably stick around for uh, however long Pearl of the Stars is. Five minutes, even longer than Made Out of Nothing, all that I am. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, and even longer than far. So this is the the most indulgent jam of of the whole album, and and not very nine inch nailsy. I felt. For every time we say far, I keep thinking we're saying fart. Well, it's interesting that this is the not very nine inch nailsy because this one was written by Claudio Sanchez and Atticus Ross. Yeah, yeah, this was actually co-written by. Mm. Yeah. So I wonder how much of this is Claudio's fault. Actually, I I just, I just felt like. Uh, he just kept listening to the intro riff of uh, Three Libras by a perfect circle. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, little I... acoustic, like... No, because that's a good song. Right, but it's just like, I felt he was like, oh, we should just do a song where it's like that, but it's like five minutes of that. And it's me doing it. Yeah, and it's... And and Atticus... And it doesn't launch into the part that, like, gets people roused. Yeah, enjoy this. There's a, I have a funny story about Wonderwall when we're done with this. <laughs> okay, great, great. It'll definitely wash the taste of this podcast out of our mouth, I think. I, I just <laughs> want to say it's inside. like, yeah, going back to Far, they already had this song, and they just made a worse version of it and stuck <laughs> it at the end where you're already, like, flagging and running out of steam. But they had a worse version of Far, and that was... The, the made out of nothing all that I am. So this is the like, this is even worse. This Whatever, is the... that, song's, that song's good. You guys are <laughs> terrible with musical taste. Uh, I, lo- I love how completely split we are on this. Yeah, we're, we are. This is interesting. This is proven very interesting. <laughs> to the rockin yeah we're about to we're about to pick the pace back up again we're not we're not finger banging in high school anymore not within the flame of error which i think taylor will agree with me that hey it's another coheed and cambria decided to play on their album again yeah definitely (laughs) like i mean this is another track where atticus ross was probably promptly kicked out of the room yeah and uh hey go get us uh Chicken McNuggets and <laughs> sweet tea. I know, like it's it, it's a song that is got some some gusto to it. It's it's proggy. It's accessible. Um, it's it's it doesn't have poopy lyrics. Yeah, it's got Coheed and Cambria's deceptively dark and violent lyrics returning. Yes, yes. It's, 
It's got a nice dose of heavy mm. in a way that it almost reminds me of like, uh, I don't know. It's sort of a proto gravity's union kind of deal for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can hear that. I can definitely hear that. And like touches of, you know, previous heavier, uh, album climaxing kind of songs. And I think it's the best song on the album. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go with you there. I think this is like one of the great forgotten Coheed and Cambria songs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This yeah, is... I can tell you I forgot about it. Oh, no. Oh. Are we split again? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> All right, Boner. Uh, what do you think of In the Flame of Error? So we keep going back to this whole sentiment of, you know, this album just isn't as memorable as some of Coheed's other landmark works like The Good Apollos or Second Stage Turbine Blade. And I, when I re-listened to this in preparation for this recording, um, it was one of the tracks that, you know, didn't stick out for me. It's like, you know, some albums you can do a mental track list, like you'll know everything that plays. And it's like, there's always that one or two you forget. And when this one came on, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, there's a song between Pearl of the Stars and the, the next one we'll talk about. And um, it just made me think, this sounds like an OC remix of a Castlevania track. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I could hear it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that's pretty good. So, so I'll say two things, not to get too far off the rails here. Um, one, uh, the the kind of production thing where there's backing vocals in a track, but you can tell it's the same guy who's doing the lead vocals. Mm-hmm. Like that, that kind of has stuck out. Not not only you know on throughout the whole album. Um, I don't think it's that bad because I think Claudio's kind of fallen into his niche here. Like it's not as soaring and Getty Lee yeah. as other stuff, but the backing vocals um, acquit themselves where the, it, where it doesn't just hear like the same guy recording, um, you know, the same track and they're all like at the, at the same level. And it sounds like he recorded it in his living room or something. It's, it's in the production, which has been lambasted in this podcast so far it actually kind of works. Um, but this also feels to me like he thinks he's writing musical theater at this point. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> like, if you look at some of the, like, the interviews leading up to this album, like, this album is more theatric and dramatic <laughs> than anything we've ever done. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> right, like, in my mind, this is the part where the Phantom Danger of the zone. Opera is, like stealing the girl away and the British cops with the funny hats are chasing after him as he's burning the opera house down. Or, or he thinks that, or, or, or he kind of get the feeling when you hear him talk about Amory, Amory Wars that he thinks that like, he's not just writing X-Men <laughs> or star Wars or star Wars. It's like, dude, like I love Claudio Sanchez and I have nothing but immense respect for him. But I think that sometimes what he's doing with his music in his mind, oh, it's like he's a little, a little. He's probably inflated it a little bit. He's a little up his own ass, just a bit. Uh, so Byron, what do you think of uh, this track? Uh, I I thought it, it was good. Like it, it was definitely one of the highlights of the album for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it, if Pearl or the Stars, I guess talking about the the 
the plot is kind of this big apology, like love letter, Doctor Light uh, pining for his <laughs> girlfriend. Uh, and this is the one where he's really he's really getting to work. He's building Mega Man. Uh, he's putting his uh, he's like you know obviously turning his back on on the world and and love and all of these these things and getting deep and you know it's I think it's a recognition of. There, there's a lot of apologizing and, and cursing and, and talking with like my darling, uh, uh, you know. So, oh, so it's it's really sappy. So it's like kind of like sappy, angry, yeah, uh, uh, song. But I, I don't know. I, I liked it. It was definitely one of the ones. Uh, it's funny uh, you say it's like one of the forgettable ones because it's uh, one of the ones when I was when I was re-listening to it right before this uh, that I came back to and I was like, oh yeah, this track again. Uh, maybe it was just because of like after Made Out of Nothing and Pearl of Stars, I was like thankful for actual like music uh, <laughs> in, instead of just like slow jams. Uh, but but it was uh, but but I dug it. Um, it was it was definitely good. And and if you want like sappy angry and you want that done better go listen to the first good apollo album ah uh, yes that album is just Oof. Oof. now i just want to hear coheed and cambria cover the theme song to the ruby spears Mega Man cartoon <laughs> uh god album these penultimate tracks on like, like they seem to be like the hardest don't you think like have you like think back to a lot of like the best albums you've heard in your life and it's just like that first before the last track is kind of the worst yeah like doesn't that happen a lot like i'm yeah. not i'm not saying that in reference to this album by the way it's just like it's just an observation that i've noticed over the years it's like when sequencing albums that that, that's where you stick the B-sides. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the first before the last track seems to always be like the hardest one for people to nail down. This is because like, well, that's just like this. This is the track where we were already out of ideas, but we got to we got to fill a time somehow. So throw it on there. Uh, there are very few bands that escape that. Um, I, I think Coheed escaped it with uh, Windscape. Never mind. Hey, sometimes you oh, got to. Okay. You okay. got to hear what you want before you can get to soon. I'm talking yep. about my bloody Valentine, by the way. <laughs> okay, you you dropped out there for a second, so it yeah, totally tri- totally tripped me up. <clears throat> um, so I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that again. Uh, and I think that uh, 
Coheed largely avoids that with uh, the penultimate track on this album, When Skeletons Live. I think it's, uh, I don't think that it's a great song, and I don't think that it's, you know, going to be world-shattering or anything, but I think it is a good song, and it is a song that I like listening to. It's got, um, you know, it's got a, 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 you know, like, I think maybe this is the closest to where it sounds like there were compromises sort of in the middle, where it's just like you've got the Atticus Ross side and the Coheed side kind of coexisting and not canceling each other out for the first time. <laughs> Like yeah, that that's sort of my yeah. takeaway from it. Hmm. I I thought it was uh it was kind of weird. So so this is the point in in the album you've been following along with the lore, uh the liner notes or whatever. Um all of a sudden the guy the guy's Dr. Light's wife uh has come home to murder him because he he loves he's he's too into his work. He's not paying attention to him mm-hmm. or to her and, and a lot of stuff goes down. And he's so making course, he's making things with names like the Monstar virus. Oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. He he's every, he making he's He-Man toys? everything and essentially like through the whole thing, uh, uh, his wife. It's it's kind of like Greek tragedy or like something like that. The his wife has just been like since their son died, just like wailing and going around, and all these third parties are like pointing her in different directions and been like, ah, oh, go like. Go be like anguished, like because of this reason, and go over here and be anguished over here. She's Lady Macbeth at this point. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, so now, so now she came home to kill Doctor Light, uh, and she was just about to, and right before Mm -hmm. she killed him, she was distracted by a future sci-fi butterfly. Uh, No, but I'm essentially uh future sci-fi well, specifically butter- it's a persona dragonfly but we're gonna say that it's a butterfly <laughs> so she gets distracted by a butterfly and wanders off to the site of her son's grave and then climbs up a tree to catch this butterfly and then falls out of the tree and cracks her head on the gravestone and then just dies that like 15 seconds ago she was about to like kill the dr light that that's oddly the, literal that is, <laughs> that is the stupidest fucking that's, story for a that's song literally i've heard so so again we're going to talk about the the first opening lyrics of of this song she wheezes out her dying wish come closer one more moment one more kiss and i love her i give her all i can so she just got head trauma after falling out of a tree and she's dying and he just like sticks it to her like right before she goes is he gives her her dying wish and just like gives it to her. He couldn't just, like, you know, call an ambulance or something? Nope, nope. He's like, nope. He didn't want her to live as a head. This this is how we do it in crazy sci-fi future world. Uh, And so he sticks to her, and her body sinks, her heat released, uh, and he goes back to work. Um, So he couldn't just, like, drop a monomate on her or something? So so that's, I thought that was... To Momni Jill. Essentially, I couldn't get past that. Uh, (laughs) And, and there's a whole lot of stuff where it's like, uh, where he keeps yelling about how when skeletons live and like all of these things. But like, I thought this track was like really self-indulgent. I don't know what I, what I liked about like the flame of error, uh, in the flame of error. And like, I was kind of digging on the track, this track, I was just like, okay, this is, this is maybe Coheed and Cambria's like, I don't really like them. I don't know. That, that was, that was me. Uh, that was me on this track. Um, but maybe it was the like 
the almost necrophilia that that really soured me on it. That's Kohi touches on some dark stuff. <laughs> yeah, dark, from from that... time to time, like a good night, I... fair lady comes to mind. Yeah, is that I would also... about... yeah, Byron. I would encourage you. Uh, to maybe listen to not the worst Coheed and Cambria album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good Apollo 1. So good. Yeah. Mm. No, I'll definitely judge Coheed and Cambria by this, this entire album. <laughs> uh, yeah, this listening is... to that description, it's more like good, appalling O. Oh. That's what we're hearing on this you're just, you're just on a roll, aren't you, Sweet Pea? I, I just... You can't, you can't stop I have nothing it. to add. You can't stop it. You just, they just keep tumbling out of you. They just keep happening. They just keep happening. Um, other thoughts? Uh, um, there's not a whole lot. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this song. It's okay. I like it. It's peppy and upbeat. Despite this. <laughs> Deceptively so. But hey, that's another Coheed thing. Yeah. yeah, like 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 it's got a lyric about skeletons. People like those, right? Exactly. Spooky, scary skeletons. <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like a less heavy version of World of Lines. Um that was about all I had to say to it before all that necrophilia shit, which I wasn't <laughs> aware of. Yeah, this is kind of why I don't uh engage with that side of Coheed and Cambry. Yeah, because it's just weird and kind of not good. And mediocre, and, and at times just kind of really gross and sexist and stupid. Great. track of the album the big closer the grand finale it's got a hell of a lot to compete with when you compare it to the previous two albums which were good apollo one and two so taylor i'm gonna start with you my dear what do you think (laughs) of the black rainbow uh with the exception of subtraction this is by far the most forgettable coheed closing song yeah gonna have to agree I mean, it's it's not bad. It's just, I don't know. It's like, 
it feels like in the Flame of Error and when skeletons live, we're building to something. Yeah. And what they were building to is this weird sort of like sound collage Yeah. Uh, garage rock production weird song that doesn't really end on a whole lot of closure. No, it's just kind of like, yeah, the song just abruptly ends. Yeah, like after there's a, going on and on it, for a while. <laughs> yeah, a, in, in fact, I thought it was going to do that thing where it faded back in toward the end, and nah, mm-hmm. nothing. No, there's, there's a coda at the end that's just, you know, more sound collage bullshit. Um, but... And then you can hear people laughing in the studio, like, ha ha ha, fuck you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's that... Taylor basically summed up my thoughts on uh, The Black Rainbow, the song itself. It's like, it's not bad, but... Like when it, when you put it up, like, like Coheed are known for great openers and great closers. I think like I feel that those are two of the strengths that they have. Like when it comes to sequencing albums and putting albums together, is that like when you look at like their list of openers and closers, they're pretty damn solid. And this just kind of sets at the bottom again because <laughs> it's just it it does not hold a, a candle to what um, the everything else prior to this album did boner the black rainbow i i like that guitar progression toward the like middle to end of it <laughs> that yeah, one i like that yeah that's i mean nothing not a whole lot stands out otherwise lyrically or sonically yeah he just keeps yes. repeating it's over and i think he's just like the last day of the studio and then just kind of like recorded him out in the hallway and he didn't <laughs> the song's over it's over, it's over. We, <laughs> we've run out of time we're not going to pay for another week of recording it's just begging someone whoever's producing it to cut the track cut print good enough it's like, nah, nah, I need you to keep singing for another three minutes so that I can get paid for the full hour. Um, he's like sitting on the can and up. they're holding a boom mic over the bathroom stall while he's just, <laughs> just belting out this last chorus. Hey, hey, why not? It worked for the Pixies. That's how they got that vocal sound and where is my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know... That was, but you know, that was a Steve Albini production. And Steve Albini is awesome, and I, he he probably could have taken this album uh, out of its head, out of its ass a little bit, and it might have turned out better. <laughs> yeah, and Atticus Ross is uh, sort of like Trent Reznor's less talented younger brother. <laughs> yeah, like like Atticus but... Ross and Steve Albini, they could not be any further apart on the spectrum here. When you, when you say Trent Reznor's less talented younger brother, I think Richard. Patrick from Filter. Richard Patrick from Filter. It was also the less talented younger brother of Robert Patrick from Terminator yep. 2 fame. <laughs> I believe Richard Patrick was Nine Inch Nails' first touring guitarist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're so, going deep. We're going deep. Byron. Byron. Uh, Black Rainbow. I I don't even. This this was like a snoozer. At like, <laughs> it had a fade in and a fade out and, and all sorts of like. It, is this the part where Mega Man's sad and he's walking away and the seasons are changing at the I end credits? This is, no, this is where Proto Man dies and then Dr. Light makes Mega Man and then tells him not to fight because his brother died. If we're going, if we're going back to going Byron's extended, so actually, yeah. extended, pro, extended the Proto Man metaphor that Byron uh, had going on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just like, uh, I, I, 
I felt like I was pretty patient with this album, but this one, this is the one, like, I couldn't do. And, and a lot of the times when it would just start getting, like, I don't know where it was, like, 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 six minutes or something, like, into it, I would just, like, cut it and be like, all right, I don't have to listen to this. <laughs> well, I mean, you cutting it is basically exactly how the song ends anyway. The song just ends with an abrupt cut. Well, yeah. there's that little, like... The coda at the end. There's but... the ambient. Right, right. If you well listen, that's well, it's it's not the ambience; it's the ambient. It's the ah. It all really, ties, it all really ties the album together. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. It was just like, oof, what a what a way to cap, what a way to cap uh, an album uh, <laughs> off. I I don't know why they 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 stuck with that one as the the one they were like, yeah, we're gonna this is the note we're gonna go out on uh, and make fan sure fans are wishing for more. I feel like they probably could have ended within the flame of error, to tell yeah. you the truth. Yeah. I would have yeah. would probably enjoyed it a little more. And I mean, I don't know super well how the how the songs connect to the story, but from what I know of the story, and the flame of error to me is like when they like blackmail him into turning uh, the knowledge, the beast, and the inferno into the carriers of the monstar virus, and that's why he's like, I'm a murderer, the worst the world will see. <laughs> And he's like, that's him scrambling to try and find a way he can hide a cure for it. Yeah. It's like you're speaking English words, and I know what some of those words are. But all comprehension is just... Well, the monsters were in Space Jam, you see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's what the dragonflies come in and spread some kind of... I'm not even going to bother to get into the second stage turbine play. Now I want to hear Coheed and Cambria do a cover of Space Jam by Quad City DJs. They probably they do a good. Did. They do a good version of the Trooper. Yes, I, I have heard that, but with um, this was like on the tour with uh, female backing vocals because you know Claudio couldn't hit those Bruce Dickinson high notes. <laughs> yeah, this was during the Neverender uh, tour days when they were uh, touring all four of their first out al- or yeah, their four first albums. Yeah, and yeah, like, it's a good DVD. It's a good watch. Yeah, I liked it. Even if Claudio's struggling, he's struggling with them notes. Boy, is he ever. Yeah, that was a, that was a that was not. I think it was better than the In Keeping Secrets tour. If you've ever heard that uh, live at the Starlin Ballroom yeah, album, that's, that's not very good. His, well, he like, can't, he's really like he can't like he can't even like catch his breath to hit some of those high notes. I don't know if that's all the smoking or all the acid reflux or some horrifying combination of both, but he was not having a good time on that tour. <laughs> well, it could be worse. He, they could just play it in a key lower, like Bon Jovi or Loverboy. And hey, Megadeth. Hey, and... hey, that kind of works. That kind of worked for Rush. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but those guys are all like 60 now. <laughs> all right, so we're going to wrap things up here. Um... Uh, <coughs> Final impressions of, of of the album as a whole. I will start. I like I've I've warmed up to this album and I will listen to it every now and again, but it is not a go to Coheed record for me. It is the worst in their discography, uh, even though it's got some really good songs on it. Um like I d I, I don't know. Like I, I don't hate it. I don't really love it. I think that if you're gonna explore you know like the reason i kind of like wanted to use this album instead of anything else they've done 
is because like I've never really had a chance to actually talk about this album with other people to see like you know how they how it bounced off of them or how it's uh, you know like grown or not grown on them over the years so for me it was interesting to just see like okay like I know a few like like I know Boner Taylor and myself have probably heard it and then I know Byron's going in fresh so it'd be interesting to have like that kind of discussion around this album uh, so I didn't try to like throw a bad album out there for the funnies uh, I did it because I thought it would be an interesting episode and I think that's what we got um, so Boner final thoughts on Year of the Black Rainbow I think what we should have done is had John guest star and have him read the Amory Wars but not listen to any of the music <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, um, I'm kind of done with this album. I mean, even after like initially listening to it after it came out and not being really impressed with it, like I would throw it on in the car every now and then it would grow on me. But <sighs> listening to it critically, I think it gets worse the more yeah. I listen to it. So I don't know. World of Blinds is a good song, I guess. Yeah, like um, just go throw in those good Apollo albums or the Afterman, you know, anything, anything is good, but not this album. <laughs> yeah. uh, Taylor, final thoughts on year of the black rainbow. Uh, I like it more than I did in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I think this was a, this was a good, uh, exercise in rediscovering some good Coheed and Cambria songs on a, on sort of like the nadir of their career. Yeah. 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 Although I, I mean, even having said that, I, I what I've told people about this album before is the worst Coheed and Cambria album is still a fuck of a lot better than most other music. So yeah, that's that's not wrong. I don't think like I would I would totally agree with that uh, sentiment. I mean, I mean, like in terms of the worst albums by some of my favorite bands, I mean, Jesus Christ, Four Thirteen Dream by The Cure, The Weirdness Whoa. by The Stooges. Oh man. There's some bad ones. Yeah. And this is not at that level. No, this is oh. nowhere near that. No, no. This is more like blood flowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Byron, as a newcomer to the album, what are your final thoughts? Man, this was like, if someone hadn't listened to Coheed and Cambria in forever or at all, like like someone like me. Like, this was this the worst sh- to start on. Yeah, this is one shit ass hell of an album uh, to throw at somebody. Uh, and the, it was it, it was rough, and there was like I'm looking back over my notes. There, there were only really like two, two and a half, maybe three songs if you count two separate half songs that I liked um, out of the whole like twelve tracks that I that I like enjoyed. Uh, even though like one track was essentially fully silenced. Uh, and another track was, was two thirds silence. Um, man, it was, it was, I guess, uh, it, it, it makes sense now. Like now I kind of know the context behind the album and where they were at when they were making it and what and went it, into it. Like it sounds exact. If you describe that and yeah. then I went into knew all of that listening to this, I'd be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. This is definitely an album from a band that, at the time, was in some trouble. Yeah, it's the it's definitely between it's drug the, problems and bad it, production it's history. It's the Phantom Menace. I I feel that now uh, a lot more. I feel a lot more confident about that metaphor that I said earlier uh, in the podcast. Like I, I feel like that 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 really rings true. Um, 
yeah, I uh, again, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry for making you guys uh, listen to PC music, uh, <laughs> uh, and I promise I won't do it again. Oh well, at least we got that. Hey, you know what? Something good came from this episode. So, do we have any more final thoughts on Year of the Black Rainbow before we start closing things down? Uh, I have a final thought. What's your final thought? Here we are, Jar Jar Binks. Oh. <laughs> Listen to more Death Grips, people. <laughs>